0: How do boys become men, and how do fathers guide their sons to authentic masculinity? Today, we meet with a man who has spent years discerning and practicing this, as well as an experienced homesteader, and even hails from a genealogy of bourbon makers. Stay tuned to hear it all.
1: And welcome to another episode of the Catholic Gentleman podcast. Uh, John Heinen and myself are your co-hosts. Sam Guzman here, and we are joined today uh, by a farmer, an author, um, a retreat leader, uh, a lot of different things. Um, his name is Jason Craig, and basically I like to compare him to the Catholic version of Wendell Berry. Uh, But he's more than that, actually. Uh, He writes and works and hosts on-farm retreats at St. Joseph's Farm, and he's the co-founder and executive director of Fraternus, a leading apostolate for Catholic mentoring. And uh, Jason holds a master's degree from the Augustine Institute, and he is the author of Leaving Boyhood Behind, Reclaiming Catholic Brotherhood, which is a fantastic book that I recommend to everyone uh, and he also goes uh, on a tear about his family inventing bourbon, which, which I have a feeling you've been uh, contested about that. But, uh, <laughs> but that is a that is a fine distinction if if it's true. So yeah,
2: well, we'll we'll save that as a teaser for the end, right? We'll all right, excellent. Explain excellent. that. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, welcome, Jason. It's it's great to have you. Thanks,
2: Sam. Good to be here. John, good to meet you. I've known Sam for some years, uh,
1: so it's good to be here. You're still working on initiating me into manhood. Uh, but uh, uh, It's a but long really process ask, for some,
2: Sam. It, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, I'm
1: working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're here to talk about, about raising boys. And, and what does that transition to manhood look like? Because I think in our culture, there's so much confusion there. And even if a boy is, you know, not gender confused, he's still questions how do I become a man what does that mean and I think there's a lot of men walking around today who suffer from imposter syndrome where you know maybe they even have a good job uh maybe they're married uh or maybe not but they just feel like a child inside still (laughs) and they still feel like they've never really arrived at this thing called manhood even though they have all the maybe external trappings of that. So, so I'd love to talk to you more about that. Um, but yeah, I guess let's just get started. Can you tell us a little about yourself and how you ended up working, um, you know, on the farm where you work and writing and, uh, leading retreats like what, what, how did God lead you to this point?
2: Yeah, that's well, all those things I guess are intertwined. Like we hope good things are, um, I did not, I was not raised Catholic. I was not raised uh, really any sort of faith, Um, followed the allurements of the world. We don't need to expound on them. They're all the same. The devil is, uh, because he's not uh, the creator, he's not creative. So all all the old sins uh, that a lot of men know. Um, I came to know um, our Lord through a Protestant ministry when I was like around high school. I've slowly Long another long story, perhaps a different uh podcast on becoming Catholic. Um, and then because I was involved with the youth ministry that um sort of introduced me to Christ, I naturally got involved with Catholic, Catholic youth ministry after I got um after I converted. the thing I discovered, which was strange to me about Catholic youth ministry, is that. The youth ministry I was a part of was, uh, we went out after, you know, what we would call the the farthest out people, those that are clearly and obviously far from God, the unchurched people outside Mm -hmm. the church, uh, and this organization, uh, it's called young life. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it. Um, but Jim Rayburn and its founder, they're really the inventors of what, when people say youth ministry, um, what they picture of like young adults and maybe skits and music and like trips. And they kind of invented that, um, Back in the day, and it's been adopted. in it, but it was invented, and in a lot of those methods and those ideas and that kind of image you might have was invented that we use, and that I was sort of trained in, was for, like I said, the unchurched people that are way far out there. What was interesting, becoming Catholic, and some of the, some of this in the Protestant world too, uh, is that those methods and that the ideals of that were adopted into the church, which. There's some real strange things about that like why do we pres- why do we use the methods that people who presume your child does not know the faith or does not know our lord we use those methods presuming that these kids don't know god don't know the basics of the gospel so as i got into catholic youth ministry i had all sorts of trouble with it i was sort of uh, in internal struggles that this is not the problem like we don't need a sunday night meeting and like all the- so uh, uh, slowly just and through observation, just seeing, well, um, Catholic kids with solid fathers practice the faith. Catholic kids without solid fathers don't practice the faith. So that was my that was just an observation. But then I studied more. You know, kind of a long story, but uh, went and got my master's in this and was really um, focusing in on this. And it, it just it does come down to things we already know. I'm sure you've talked about on this podcast hundred times the importance of the family, the importance of the father. Um, so much so that, uh, I got involved with this apostle early on, really before it started. Uh, so co-founder of Fraternis, um, which the, if I, we don't have, this isn't what the, the, I guess today is about, but if you were to, to make like a shift in how we understand things is a lot of youth ministry things for youth, young men today. It's like, how do we reach young people today? We've got to reach them with the gospel and um, we've got to make it relevant to them. And and that's actually really exhausting. And it's kind of silly. If you can't reach your kids, I mean, they live with you. What do you mean reach them? They're You you, you know where they are at all times. I mean, if we can't reach them, uh, how are we going to reach anybody? It's kind of this absurd idea, like reaching young people today, like they live with you. Um, the problem, particularly with young men, is not that we can't reach them, is that they don't reach us. Right. Mm-hmm. It's that there's not they don't have ways for them to join us as men. And then a lot of the things and the efforts that we do to, and, quote, unquote, try to reach them actually just leaves them in adolescence, confirms them in their boyhood. And very rarely does it does it. Um, draw them up into a sort of Catholic masculinity, a Catholic manhood that we want for them. And we know we want this, but we they just keep spinning their wheels in adolescence before you know it, they're 19, 20, 21 years old or 25, 26, or 30, 31, 32, and they're insecure, as, as we were talking before the show, they're insecure, they feel like they're boys walking around, they're not married, they want to get married, but they're trying to get the. career, and are all sorts of confusion when other, historically and and broadly speaking around the world, you know, men by 15, 16, 17 are, are understood in their cultures and society as men, and they're very secure in what their, their calling is, what they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do, uh, whereas we've got even really good Catholics just spinning their wheels in this deep seated insecurity and they don't know what to do with themselves. Um and a lot of it is we're 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 to blame for that. Sorry, wait, I got off on that. but my own story that was the fraternist thing. Um yeah so I that that was kind of the trajectory. Uh you know the living in the world of Satan, uh mm-hmm. being introduced to Protestant Christianity, having a conversion, uh being introduced to uh more Christianity as Catholicism. Um becoming a catholic going to school uh and then in that time of study that's part of how we got to the farm that uh we were in denver studying i was in i was in denver studying we we're working i was working for a um and i don't know if that's when we made a connection sam or if it was after i think it was after that but um As I was studying, you know, things like the Industrial Revolution, the removal of the father from the home, the lack of integration between home, work, economy, these sort of things, you know, that, and a lot, I think every man has at some point his agrarian bug. Uh, At some point, everyone wants to move to the farm and does, and maybe they Mm -hmm. make it, maybe they don't. The average is about two years that they stay and then they leave, go back to the city. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, there is a, there is a truth in that, that Society did not have such a hard time with making men out of boys when uh, our work and our homes were more integrated. So that was our desire to come back. I've been really blessed, Grace, not my own achievement, just uh, all kinds of uh, undeserved gifts that have made it possible that we can live on a farm. So now we live in Western North Carolina. I grew up in North Carolina. It's my home state. Uh, So we're back here sort of at home. And uh, we've been, I guess, we're about 12 years into homesteading. And we've been hosting, uh, I call them weekends now. I don't like calling and saying I'm a retreat leader because like people show up and like, look, I, I don't know that the, I don't have a map to the interior castle of your soul. So, but we can help kill a pay together and talk about what it means to be human for a while. Um, so that we'll, we'll call it hosting weekends. We've been doing that, I don't know, six, maybe six years. Uh, was very fruitful It's one of my favorite postulates. or kind of aspects of that. Um yeah, does that answer your yeah. question? That's how we got here.
1: Yeah, that's that's more than enough.
0: Absolutely, no. That's that's exciting, and I'm glad to hear that because um, you know every man listening is coming from a different walk and a different experience. And so, you would would you say you were uh, raised an atheist? Do you did you have a father figure in your life when you were growing up? I'd like to hear yeah. just a little bit more about that before we jump into these rites of passage and everything like that 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 you have laid out.
2: Yeah, well, blessedly, I mean, part of um, my. As re- researching the book, researching stuff on rites of passage, I was actually fascinated with, even though my upbringing was not Christian, I would describe it as um, kind of typically Southern. So mm-hmm. uh, Flaternay O'Connor calls it the Christ, the Christ haunted South, where yeah. Jesus is sort of everywhere, um, but as like an um, a ungrounded spirit or ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that was there, but not, not any kind of personal conviction or conv- just sort of like you would say things like, well, it says in the Bible that blank but you don't ever read the Bible. So there's a sort of, it's a, if you're not from the South, you might not, but I guess it's, it's common in other places in the United States. Um, so I grew up in that, but not going to any kind of church regularly. Um, as far as <clears throat> having good, I do, my parents were divorced. Yes. I had a good father figure um, that, and it was particularly good because even with all his imperfections and to this day, uh, he's not any kind of real believer, I would say, or a Catholic, although, he went to Mass with us last week and has threatened uh-huh. threatened to become Catholic, but he's he does that every couple of years. But I think he might be more serious this time. We'll see. Um pray I'll for pray him for that. Yeah. Pray for him. Pray for Martin Craig to become Catholic. Uh cuz he knows it's the truth, so now he's in danger if he doesn't. Yeah. Um so um but when I was about 12, I moved from my mother's house uh to go live with my dad, and that was very much for me Leaving sort of this world of of maternity and boyhood and entering. he was a blue collar man uh, working grading, land clearing, plumbing. and um I just kind of entered into that world in a way that was really fruitful uh, and that I can look back and recognize now, while that was essential, I don't think I would be the man I am today if that hadn't if I hadn't been able to be with that man, right, who formed me. So my father very much formed me as a man. Uh, it would take other men to form me as a Christian man. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, as GK Chesterton said every, every saint is a man before he's a saint. Right. So, uh, Mm -hmm. that was something I'm very, um, happy to have encountered. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's why our motto is, uh, be a man, be a saint, right? Yeah. That's that's so good. That's a good one. (laughs) Uh, So, so yeah, so this, this, it's interesting. You mentioned like leaving, you know, even leaving your mother and like going, going to live with your dad. Now, obviously, um, you know, a situation like that isn't the ideal But on the other hand, like there is uh, Kind of leading us into this rites of passage uh, And how boys become men Um, there, there does seem to be a need for separation from safety And the nurturing of the mother And like kind of stepping out into danger Like can you take us into yeah. this? What did you learn about rites of passage? You wrote a book about it and it's a good right. book And and uh, it kind of breaks us down, this lost concept of uh, rites of passage. So, yeah, just tell us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, uh, what I'd like to do is give the f- broad
2: philosophy of it because yeah. that keeps us, even though I have very tangible things, like I've already mentioned, like, oh, work on my dad is a plumber and we kill pigs. We can get <laughs> lost in some real like uh, machismo or or silly, yeah, stupid yeah, things. Yeah. And uh, I think, Sam, and you and I have talked over the years long enough to know that even the Catholic men's world can get really weird and stupid really fast. Um, so, um,
1: do you, you wear that, a sword to the grocery store?
2: Um, <laughs> like, yeah, the Dungeons and Dragons Catholics are coming. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How not to be a weirdo, one hundred and one. So, yes. What what I wanted to do when I was researching the book, it was genuinely research, trying to understand this from an anthropological sense. Like, why did cultures, unlike our own, not have this trouble? Right. And and I do call it trouble. I think when people if we were to describe, I don't know what you know, you're in your audience, what makes people go, oh, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it. But mm-hmm. you know, we have two extremes. We have like the passive, uh, you know, explicitly effeminate male, right? We might call it a wimp for lack of better words. And then we have this hyper-aggressive has to prove to everyone, every room he walks in that he's a man, like yeah. the jerk or the bully or whatever. And uh obviously those are extremes. So how do we how do we come about Sort of what a normal, secure, healthy manhood looks like, and I'm sure you guys have had to wrestle with it. We wouldn't be wrestling with it if it wasn't a problem in our culture, right? Mm -hmm. There'd be no Catholic gentleman podcast if it was something so explicit. You didn't need to talk about it. It'd be like having a podcast about how the sun rises every day, right? Mm -hmm. If it were, if the sun weren't, wouldn't rise tomorrow? Maybe we would, uh, you know, start a podcast about it. Um, So, the philosophical concept, or really, it's it's anthropology, the study of man. How do cultures? Recognize that there's a difference between being a boy and being a man. That's why they're different words. Mm-hmm. They seem to have, or, or, or anthropology looks at how do they do that? How do they make the tr- this transition from one thing that's not something else? I mean, that, that's something else, something different. Um, so it comes from a book. I mean, the, the idea of rites of passage comes from a book by that name, by a, an anthropologist named Arnold von Gennep, And he actually wasn't studying boys becoming men. That's just what most of us know this concept as what he was studying is how do peoples that exist that have a cohesive structure right to like sort of social cultural religious structure how do they bring someone in that's not one of them right mm-hmm. how do they initiate them so the purpose of an initiation is you want to go from this state of life to another state of life but those two states of life they don't they don't they're in conflict you cannot live them at the same time yeah. Okay. That's an important thing. So when we say initiation, because people are like, "Oh, I went to Chile and I jumped off this cliff and it was a rite of passage," yeah, and it's yeah. like, no, it wasn't. It's just really memorable. And there's lots of things that are really memorable that aren't rites of passage, right? Mm-hmm. A, uh, a rite of passage is what occurs when you have made a transition in your life to something that you weren't before. So Van Gennep was studying military. You know, you can't just walk onto the battlefield and say, hey, "I'm one of you guys now." I put on a uniform. Uh, He was studying religious orders. How do religious orders do it? How do they make, how do they initiate someone who's not one of them? Yeah. Um, They studied, he studied villages, you know, sort of uh, what we would call ancient civilizations that still exist today. Uh, A village where to belong to them is, or not to belong is a matter of life and death, right? How do they bring them in? Um, He, so he studied all sorts of things. We just have in our memory, boys becoming men, because for I think, a couple reasons. One, it's so necessary that societies that don't initiate their boys seem to have way more trouble, broadly speaking than societies that do. I mean, that's yeah. a when they stop initiating their boys, it's like a it's a um, deadly thing. I mean, deadly. Um, the other reason is that it's so universal. So, for example, all healthy cultures have always had an initiation for boys all cultures have not had initiation for girls. It's less necessary. And we won't get into that, but it's because girls biologically and socially grow more naturally into their vocation as like sacrificial life-giving creatures. Uh, Men, for whatever reason, God has ordained it thus that something has to sort of be added onto them. They have to be given and bestowed um, this masculinity. So Setting aside the man thing, though, Von Gnep, what are the three things? He said there was three things that happened to be initiated. One, the old way of life has to be left behind or killed or severed in some way. Uh, symb- obviously, symbolically killed. But sometimes that symbolism was it's, – it's ruthless. Hmm. So you got to leave – the old way of life has to come to an end. There has to be a transition, like a sort of instruction or a giving of the tools or some sort of ceremonial. Uh, in the that second stage, that's what that is. That second stage is – all right, we killed your old guy. Let me give you the new identity that you're going to be now. And this is actually—that's the stage that everyone knows when we talk about rites of passage. They're like, "Go kill a lion" or whatever. Yeah, um, that's actually the easiest stage. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, the um, for, for all the
0: Samsons listening, go kill a lion.
2: Okay. <laughs> now, <laughs> um, the third stage is he called incorporation. Where whatever the body you're joining, you fully become a part of that body. And that's another thing about initiation is it's almost always an individual and his own ego dying so that he can join some sort of corporal body that already exists. So both you guys mm-hmm. are married, right? Yes. So you've been through a rite of passage. Jesus mm-hmm. Jesus identifies these three parts. For this reason, a man must leave his father and mother. The two of them shall be joined and they shall become in corpus one flesh right incorporated that last stage you're brought into a body so you walk into the church separately as two individuals you leave as a body that never existed before right and that first stage will never happen again the second stage will never happen again but that third stage incorporation just gets deeper and better Mm -hmm. um so i think the most confirming way if we're going to look at this sort of philosophically broad big picture the most confirming aspect is that our Lord and the economy of salvation and the sacraments themselves has adopted this human need to be initiated. Right. So we know as St. Paul, I mean, the teaching of the church is you can't be not a Christian and a Christian at the same time. Right. Yes. And if you want to come join, so I'm an adult convert. I went through initiation and the church actually uses the language of initiation. And sometimes we don't even think, why would that language be used as well? Cause you're not one of us. I don't, I don't, we, you're not one of us to, to become one of us to be in Christ. You have to be initiated. You can't just walk in and sign the roles. Right. And this was a, a huge dilemma in the church uh, early on. Like how do, who do we recognize? Who's Who's in, who's not, how do we bring them in? Uh, so we get beautiful things like Lent and, and the Easter vigil. And like a lot of these things are revolve, a lot of our very Christian life revolves around how are we initiated and she, the church uses the language of the, the first sacraments, the three sacraments of initiation, and they correspond exactly to von Gnepp's um, scheme or his observation, mm. excuse me. It's his observation, right? The best anthropology is, is observation that he's yeah. looked at what man needs. Um, and if this is truly human, well, it's truly divine. And we shouldn't be surprised that the very way that man initiates, sort of on a natural level, that God also does that supernaturally. So the first sacrament of initiation is baptism. Uh, for this, you know, and, and we, we've we seen this, most of us see the sprinkled infants, um, but if you've ever seen a full immersion baptism, it looks like killing somebody, right? Yeah. To get yeah, dunked underwater three times in a row without a lot of breath in between. Mm-hmm. That last one, you know, they come yeah. up. Uh, and St. Paul says, you have been baptized in Christ, been baptized into his death, yeah. right? So yes, it's a womb of new life, but not until, first we got to kill the old Adam. All right. Mm-hmm. There's no resurrection without death. We got to kill him. So, uh, in our Lord's goodness, he drowns him. Right. <laughs> in baptism. The second sacrament of initiation is confirmation. All right. I just killed you. Now you need, cause your old life just died. So now I'm going to give you all the gifts of the Holy spirit. I'm going to give you the experience of a new name, even that great custom, uh, even, even traditionally the slap on the cheek. So you remember this moment right. Right, when you became something different. Uh, and so, this corresponds with, in lots of cultures, the way, and, lots of, and not just for men and boys, right? I'm talking about military, all sorts of stuff. All right, you leave your old way of life behind. What am I going to give you so that you can live this new way of life? Well, here's all the tools you need. Here's the instruction you need. Here's the tools you need. Here's the identity. Here's your new name. Um, and then the third sacrament of initiation, the church even uses the same language to explain it as Von Gnep did and his observations, which is in that moment, you're fully incorporated into the body of Christ. It's like, how do you know you've been initiated into something when you do what everyone else does? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what is what do Christians do? We worship God and receive Holy Communion. I mean, that's St. Thomas Aquinas says that confirmation deputizes you for the worship of God. So you're going to be deputized once, but you're going to worship him for eternity. Eventually. It's a funny eternity. Eventually, is that there's mm-hmm. probably something wrong there. Yeah. Um, the eventuality of eternity or something yeah it's good anyway we're good anyway yeah. so you guys see sorry i'm paused for a minute you see how these things the great thing is we're talking about initiation and we're not talking about weird man stuff yeah. just as a uh a concept i mean something you've been through yourself you've been initiated because mm-hmm. sam you're an adult convert right that's right yes yeah so you went through them yeah a lot of us we might miss the uh In in our infant, of course, I'm baptizing all of my children and everything, but we do miss when you're an adult and you have to leave behind Protestantism Mm -hmm. and then be confirmed and then receive communion to consciously have to sever yourself with an old way of life and an old people. I mean, you're, you can be, of course, we know you can be friends, but realistically, there's a big loss for us that are adult converts. We lose, we lose communities and friendships and, and, but we have to in order to join the body we're attempting to join. So I'll pause there. Any questions? Does that make sense? It Definitely. does,
0: yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got more questions than we'll possibly have time for, but I think that's that's an, a great framework and and for us to to look at and and I could say that even for um, you know Catholic individuals that maybe uh, were raised Catholic and stuff like that, you'll experience some sort of initiation, uh, some sort of this process in in denying the ways of the world, right? We have mm-hmm. to we have to have that. So I want to open this up to you, Jason, and and bring it down to how do you practically now apply this uh you know this philosophy this you know um yeah. anthropology to boyhood to masculinity
2: yeah so that's <clears throat> that's what i love on uh when we do the weekends is on the first night we go through this philosophy of it in detail because that saves us from doing dumb things um <laughs> like that's it spread the coals out boys walk across them me <laughs> men now. um and but you, but you still do those, right? No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By the end, by the end. Yeah. Firewalking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Firewalking. Right. Which, by the way, yeah, is an initiation. Um The reason I want to bring that up, though, is you'll see this classical literature from from the Odyssey to the Karate Kid. This is like the the, the schema of every initiation or like big change. Yeah. To apply it the way Vong and Epp applies it to boyhood, and that I think once you see this, you'll you'll recognize. Oh, that's just. It's observably and obviously true, but it also it's liberating, but it can also be kind of depressing because it's like, wow, this is uh, clearly our problem today. Um, The last thing I would say, though, is it's important when we talk about defining masculinity, we can go in circles, right, and just kind of talk about the accoutrements of masculine things. But ultimately, what we're talking about is to reach our end, that thing for which that is what defines how, where we're going, right? So how and who gets to define that is critical. So the way Von Gannett applied this to boys is that the first stage of initiation is that the boy has to leave his boyhood behind. Um, Hence the name of that book that there has to be an end put the, the boyhood has to have a severing. So we know ancient cultures had this all the time. Um, even I mean Saint Paul, one of the most famous scripture passages of all time. He goes through First Corinthians thirteen, the litany of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love all this, and a lot of us stop at this beautiful litany of love, and we don't get to the end where he relates it, this sacrificial love to. When I was a boy, I acted like a boy. I did the things that boys did. But when I became a man, and so he lived in a culture that had rites of passage, and so in my book, we don't have time today, but. Uh, I wanted to root this in in our Lord's life, right? And he very much in the, in the episode in Luke two, losing in the temple. Yeah. He very much has an experience of being severed from his boyhood and becoming a man. But for Jewish boys, there would have been places in the temple, right? You're making this pilgrimage to the temple. You get there. There's all kinds of people there: women, children, even Gentiles. Then there's a place where you can go where the women, the Jewish women can go with you. Then there's a place you can go where only the men can go. Just imagine year after year, you see your father go through those doors, right? And then one day he says, come with me, right? I mean, so obviously cultures that have a moment where the boyhood ends is critical. So it has to die. I mean, some African tribes, they would actually have, uh, it's very theatrical. They would put the boy in a coffin and allow the mother to, to wail the loss of her son. Because she had to, and this is a big part of the book, is that moms have to accept a boy becoming a man. Because when he's severed from his boyhood, he's largely severed from her and her world. Because he he was conceived inside of her in utopia, right, in the womb. You're never hot, cold, tired, anything, hungry, nothing. You've got everything you ever need. And then you're born. That's kind of rough. And she continues her attempt at recreating utopia for you. Caring for your bodily needs, which, by the way, is good. That's what she's supposed to do. Boys that continue to live in the maternal world, however, though, where they they can begin to view the world as it's here to make me not hurt. Right. It's here to make me comfortable. It's here to give me my needs. Um, We can see how you got to put an end to that eventually. Right. Or that can Mm -hmm. become really dangerous. So they would put in this African tribe, they would put the boy in a coffin, allow the mother to wail. Publicly the death of her son, right? And then they would process the uh coffin out of the village and he would go through his rite of passage. Uh, and then when when he returned, she would actually reintroduce herself, like, hey, who are you, young man? I'm my name, you know. Uh so obviously there's some theatrics to this, but ceremonial, oh, yeah. that's that's pretty profound. Um, so the first stage you have to leave your boyhood behind. If you continue living in the world as a boy without any tangible kind of observable change in the way you live, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, the second stage is that, here's the here's the problem though, I'm severing you from your boyhood, I've killed the boy. Well, now who am I? I've been a boy my entire life. I've never been a man before. Who will instruct me? So in the second stage is very often these were ceremonial parts of it. Um, but most importantly, it was instruction. You're given the tools, you're given the mentoring, you're given the guidance, you're giving uh, what that boy needs to become a man. These are the ways, this is how men act, right? Instruction and maybe there's some ceremonial some experience some an experience of pain oftentimes this is why like there's a one aborigine tribe if you see, they're all smiling and all the men are smiling together with that big perfect like uh don't have dentist but we have perfect teeth tribal look yep. and they're all missing the same tooth right because in their initiation there's a moment where the tooth gets knocked out um some some pri- tribes would have practiced you know uh, uh adolescent uh circumcision you know fire walking some of them would jump off of these like you ever seen the ones where they jump off the bungee cord and just kind of but it's not a bungee cord they just like hit their head on the sand no. have you ever seen that i have I've, no I've, well uh, i've, I've yet, yet right to live wrong. apparently <laughs> <laughs> anyway there's or the ones in south america where they put the gloves on with like mm. but they're ants like the gloves are the made out of them. like mm-hmm. the ants so these are rites of passage now it seems ridiculous but, if having gone when you go through these experiences and the men are introducing you to sacrifice to pain, it's sort of formal it's sort of a ceremonial way to put the ego to death, right, to kill that kid. But it's also an introduction of him to pain, to endurance, to sacrifice. and also, and I by the way, I'm describing things, not prescribing things, okay. yeah, um, right Good but there, I'm, and I'm not saying we should imitate it, but there's a logic. I mean, there's even a logic behind behind hazing, right? You can't just join yeah. this fraternity. I got to punch you in the face first twenty times or whatever that the, we don't imitate but the logic of it is that i've got to kill you so that you can become one of us your individual ego i mean the best example that most of us accept it would be boot camp military boot camp yeah not only does military boot camp kill your ego but it also puts you through the same experience with a whole bunch of other men that on the other side of that experience you know what you have with those men brotherhood that's right you know sometimes it can be really hard um, and fraternities, our primary identity is we want to create cultivate brotherhood amongst men. It's really hard, actually, hard in our modern day because we're just trying to like drum it up from uh our knowledge, and it's without experience, right? But you go through something hard with somebody, you don't have to be told your brother's on the other side of it. You just are. You just yeah. are. So anyway, second stage is that instruction, the ceremony, that's the and then the third stage. And actually, when I got to this writing the book, I'm like, that's it, we're screwed. This Despair, this won't work. There's no rites of passage anymore. Uh is incorporation that you have to be brought into a company, a body, a brotherhood of men. Uh, you know, Sam and I were talking about college students beforehand. A lot of them, they're they're at the age of manhood and they're out, but what's ironic, they're also seeking out community, like wide open. And this makes sense is because it's the community that says, you're one of us. And when someone says you're one of us, that's your identity. It's who I am, it's what I do. The reason that's such a challenge is that I'm sure you guys have dealt with this on the podcast. If not, you need to. The isolation, the loneliness, the, the um division, the lack of normal fraternity amongst men um, makes it so that we can't even talk about initiating our sons because there's no us to initiate them into. Yeah. So as I started at the beginning, the you know, to initiate someone is to bring them into some sort of body most often. You can sever your son from boyhood, cut him off from his mom, whatever. Don't do that. I'm just joking. But uh, you can make him put on a glove full of ants or go elk hunting or whatever. But if there's no company of men on the other side to say you're one of us, it's kind of like having a boot camp without a military, right? It's like, all right, I got out of boot camp. Okay, that was cool. Yeah. I'd right? say like these guys that are just shredding themselves in the, in the gym or whatever, putting themselves through this rigorous professional challenges or trying to be the best it's like they're doing everything that should make them a great man like i'm still empty and what they really need is fraternity with Mm -hmm. other men right i mean they that's what they they need to hear that um from other men and i for us as catholics um our identity as brothers is not a theme it's not symbolic it's it's actual it's true we actually are brothers i know there's a a lot of, uh, you know, great movements in the church that emphasizing like discipleship and all stuff, but um, it's sort of a like discipleship often recognizes, all right, I'm in direct relationship with disciple, uh, disciple of Christ, but I'm also like being taught by other people, I guess, discipled by them. And that's the language we use. It's interesting to me that after the book of Acts, the Christians don't refer to themselves as disciples anymore. Yeah. That gives way to using the language of brotherhood, of fraternity, because to be a disciple, there's something servile in it, a master teacher. I don't mean it in a bad way, it's good, like a master and a teacher. Whereas when it gives way to love the brotherhood, that is something that's a different relationship. It's family, right? It's it's a bond that's unbreakable. Uh, it's a bond that has obviously, you know, intuitively, we don't have to go in, it's an intuitive deep meaning that we long for. And every renewal in the church is almost always a fraternal mo- movement. Right, the Benedictines, the Dominicans, yeah. the Franciscans, right? Renewals in the church happen by fraternity, which is why I think, in and in particularly modernism, and it's the way it isolates us from one another, and aided by technology, um, makes it so that our own maturity is stunted, our own ability to live virtuously is stunted. Uh, I mean, there are sins and virtues that you can only practice locally. Right, mm-hmm. according to Aquinas, like you actually can't feel shame except locally. You don't really have envy for someone you're not near. You only have envy for people you're close to. I mean, um, even the practice of charity itself, the form of all virtues, is to your neighbor. Well, who is that? It, 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 it's your neighbor. It's not complicated. Um, when it comes to, but when it, in relating that to our sons becoming men, until we men are brothers, our sons can't become men. That's just one way to think about it. If they don't have a fraternity of men to be initiated into, um, then how are you going to initiate them? That's, that's the thing. So a lot of good lessons a dad can, can give, but dads aren't enough. Dads mm. aren't enough. It's kind of just the start.
1: Yeah. And uh, and all of that is, is um, so helpful in understanding that process of boyhood to manhood. It's not just about going out and getting tattoos and like wearing leather and you know, <laughs> having a powerful car or whatever, like it's, uh, there's more to it than that. But one, one thought that I had while you were talking and describing all this is there has to be almost like something exclusively male. Like you mentioned like that going into the temple where there's like men only, you know, like allow for, 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 for there to be this sense of brotherhood, like, and for a boy to, to realize like I've arrived, like I am now part of this, brotherhood of men because now i can do this thing that other men are doing and yet you look around and like there's so few things that are exclusively male and like go go join the wrestling team oh you know there's like a girl girls now and like you know you, you you uh you want to be an altar boy well actually there's girls there too and 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 you know pretty much like football might be like one of the last uh holdouts where there's like not a uh, and, and your mixture, but, but, but that problem being like, we need the sense of brotherhood. And yet there's so few things that are just for men anymore, that it's very hard to create that without resorting to artificial means. And like, and that's why, you know, we talk about like, we can, we can talk about how like the male externals of like shaving or, you know, enjoying a good cigar or a good whiskey, Like, maybe on the surface, like, those can be exaggerated. They can be really silly. Sometimes they can be taken into this, like, realm of caricature or cartoon. But yet, on the other hand, like, I think the reason some men want to recover those things is because they want to have, like, those exclusively male markers. Yeah. So I'd be interested in your thoughts about, like, how can we do this without it being, um, I mean, maybe we do need to fabricate it. I don't know. But, like, but something where... There is this exclusivity like this is a male only thing and you have to be a man to do it. And, yeah. I mean the the quickest like tomorrow if we were to do something
2: to help Catholic boys become better Catholic men. We're going to do one thing. It's kick the girls out of the room. Just full stop. Just yeah. and not, not I don't mean literally kick them. I mean right. and and but to say For us to in the church, and I hope we keep saying this, you know, boys are not girls and men are not women. And, you know, those are all different words that don't cross over easily. Uh, You can transition from boyhood to manhood, but not manhood to girlhood. Right. Things like that. Um, We keep saying these obvious things. Yeah, we have to have spaces where only the men go, where only the men are, are having fraternity amongst themselves. Where the, only the men are speaking as men to men as brothers, and um as just a side point, yeah, I'm very much a believer, in fact, Sam, I think when you early days of your site, I had an article uh in defense of gentlemanly things on your uh on the website back in the day, I guess it's still there, and uh I very much make the defense that um things like cigars, whiskey shaving all these what boys are really wanting when they do these things is things that men do, right? And the key obviously is doing it together, but those men are physical. So I just gave a lot of philosophy. If I were to sit down with my son and say, hey, son, I would like to sever you from uh, the maternal care because the maternal is good, but you have to reject that within yourself so you can embrace your man." You know, I'd say this is not a, this is an experience. That's the great thing about a rite of passage is it wasn't words. It wasn't data. It wasn't information. And for damn sure it wasn't a t-shirt at the end of the experience, right? That, I'm That's a right. man now, t-shirt. Um, but my son, the other day he said to me, okay, here's a great example of what you're talking about, Sam. So So ask, they asked they asked me, when do I get to drink a beer? And I tell them, when you do a, de- a man's day of work. Nice. And so my son the other day, he's 10. He goes, on Friday, because we, we do school, we're homeschooled, uh, four days a week and on friday it's kind of uh it's not i keep telling you, it's not a day off it's a work day that's when they're supposed to work more on the give me extra time on the farm mm-hmm. um he says i'm gonna go work for this neighbor we have a neighbor a Catholic great Catholic guy building a butcher shop next to us He because i'm gonna go work over there all day i'm like no, you're, yeah okay you know all day to a 10 year old is, and he says i'm gonna do it so i can drink a beer <laughs> <laughs> and uh so that thing that drinking of a beer yeah that would be a mark the day where i hand him a beer so anyway those things. You know, cigars, uh, that, those things are actually the means that we can communicate something's different in you. And they're great and they're enjoyable and we should enjoy one another's company. And they, you know, I'm, I'm reading a great book, uh, The Art of Solidarity. It's a kind of an academic study of medieval guilds. Mm. I really recommend it. That's very well written. But um, it's a little bit of a tone. But, you know, they talk about these feasts that the guilds would have where they would feast together as a sign and seal. Of their fraternity with one another right so there's there's a, a long history of us men enjoying um things together stuff right and that's the that's what i mean by rite of passage so as far as us what do we do uh, you notice in this whole this whole conversation, i haven't given you the answer right like to do this it's thing not practical yeah, exactly. yeah exactly but i mean we could we could i would but i would say the most practical thing is make sure there is a place where men go that women don't go and girls don't go especially you know in fraternities we got you know we got a summer camp there's 600 boys in the room you know how to change the dynamic immediately just walk a girl in the room that's all you gotta do so so make a place because boys need instruction as men and only men can give instruction to boys as men to boys so think places like catechesis should immediately tomorrow um stop being co-ed youth groups if your intention with your youth group is to make men out of those boys well you can't have girls in the room it can't be led co-ed sorry i yeah. just can't it might be good they might learn their faith and be more zealous or i don't know meet a wife whatever but they're not gonna become men it's just not the space where that would happen what makes you think i mean walk into your average youth group do you walk around and go yeah this is a man making factory right here you know it might be good i'm not putting it all down it's just right. it's not what it's doing for us men we need to have culture amongst ourselves so i live out in the country right we do farming a lot of the men around here we're not all farmers I'm, i'm not I, 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 it's kind of Sam to call me the, you know, well actually maybe I am more like Wendell Berry and just he's not a farmer either he's a homesteader at best, yeah. um, but um, so the culture around here is you know we split wood and we we slaughter pigs and we do that together with men as men, you know, so do those things and you have to have your culture and it we should admit a lot of our work because it doesn't lend itself to necessitating the difference between men and women. That makes it harder for us. It is easier for men in cultures that have work that is proper and suited to men that requires physical strength. Like, why aren't girls football players? Because they'll get smashed, right? Mm-hmm. There, are, It's nice when there are jobs. You know, women are also not, uh, there are tons of jobs that women don't, one, they don't work those jobs and they're not clamoring for them, you know, the trash men or or the, you know, Alaskan fishermen. There's a lot of jobs that are very dangerous that we need a very strong and somewhat expendable people to, to to man those jobs and they're men so anyway it does make it harder for us when our I mean I've been sitting here doing this uh you know man web uh, podcast with you guys I some kids walking in and out there's nothing I'm sharing with them and doing this that is a man making a day de- I can't share this with them so it is nice mm-hmm. it's a benefit for me that I live on a farm there's things I can share with my sons that require endurance fortitude um the attention and discipline that a man needs and even his own strength you know Uh, And there are jobs more suited to us.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with all that. And I'm grateful for you saying that any of our frequent listeners will hear the same conversation on the barber episode about, you know, how do you ruin a barbershop is, you know, have a mom (laughs) or, uh, you know, a a wife walk in along with you. And uh, conversation just stops immediately or changes completely. Yeah, no, so true. So, okay, so we're in modern times right now, you we've got men who are fathers who are listening to this right now, they realize that they have been substituting um, a lot of other things in life for their lack of community or their lack of, you know, that initiation. And so they've got kids themselves, and they're, they're excited about what you're saying. And they're realizing that they didn't get this themselves, or they weren't aware of this need themselves. How would you talk to those men, uh, so that that they can not only um be aware uh have that transformation themselves but then at the same time be able to pass that along to their sons they're also living in a suburban uh neighborhood and, and working a nine to five job
2: yeah i don't want to overstate my ability to answer answer that question <laughs> okay um, <laughs> sounds good. but obviously that's the most common question um one, I don't know. I don't. I, I didn't quite catch your language, but something uh, I heard is like, "Well, that won't work," which is like, "How do you transition yourselves or something?" I mean, it's this. I, I'm continually, continuously blown away by the implications of the doctrine of like the mystical body of Christ. That you, yeah. for example, you cannot baptize yourself, right? But baptism is necessary for salvation. Our need for one another. Our need to be united with one another is, is I think um, the greatest conquest of modernism and relativism is not um, all the the muddying of truth, which I mean that too, but that it has made us unable to really belong to one another in ways that, you know, St. Paul says that he's like arguing with people. He's writing these letters. He's like, don't you know, you belong to one another. Like, what's your problem? Mm-hmm. Don't you know you should be caring to one another? This is ha, ha, have you not picked this up that we're all one in Christ? Right. So that dad, he you know, the uh Sam and I were talking about a guy who called me. He's in a very challenging situation. He used to be a part of a fraternity chapter. That's why he called. He used to be a part of a chapter where I was. And um he called and he's having this really hard time with his son. And and um I said, Do you have brotherhood right now? And he's like, No, that's why I'm calling you, <laughs> right? Um And I I do not live in some place where uh, the life of brotherhood has become easy and natural. It's something to be fought for still. Um, So I don't want to exaggerate my own experience or, or, but I will say just like all of us know, rarely do we grow in virtue or knowledge or happiness alone that this is just, that's just the first and primary thing that dads get together and then invite your sons in that order. Like first, this is why in fraternists when we start fraternist chapters, the biggest challenge, and and um, I'm in the midst of forming one somewhat nearby, um, is they're like, well, okay, well, the boys, we got to get the boys, we got the boys, we, and then we'll do that. And they're so in the mode of like running, of dads running programs for boys, right? Like the you know troops or whatever. It's like dads running this program for boys. And yes, they have friendship and relationship. But when we say, we actually have chapters that's like, all right, you guys, why don't you meet for a year as just men? for the young men come and that's like yeah. mind-blowing like wait no but we got to like help our boys right now it's like but they're not the problem right so if you're working mm-hmm. nine to five like how do i raise boys today stop blaming them for a situation they didn't create but oh, they're playing video games all day stop buying their video games they don't get out with any men they don't so okay you're gonna have to step one you can't transition yourself you again you, yeah you have to um,
0: can't give what you do not have
2: can't give what you don't have and you've got to yeah. have that fraternity and i've probably had different answers you know through different years of kind of wrestling through these things but i can't believe how often it comes down to the relationship with the father uh, both their own personal father uh, and other men that are mentors and god the father and then also just the relationship with other men as brothers that that is such a source of security and support for us men. It's necessary. It's the one thing we're really bad at asking for. Uh, and it can get weird. There can be, there's, I mean, there are small groups I've been in. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're not leaving. So everybody's crying. I can't, I'm I'm out of here, you know, um, that are artificial and, and just so fake. You just can't. So, I mean, there is, we do long for the natural, right. Of just where this happens naturally without us being, but the fact of the matter is without us being artificial, the fact of the matter is we are not you know, people might feel icky about the idea of intentional community. It's like, all right, well, one thing we know right now is that we're not going to be a community unintentionally. It's just not the way of life that we share anymore. I would love to not have to talk about this stuff. I would love if we all just sort of had this cohesive culture and folkways and dances and and music that we share and all this stuff. But you know what? Your kids like different movies from mine. we all just consuming different mass media. We're not sharing and reading any literature. We, we just don't have that. So we've got to get intentional about it, and or, yeah. or it's not going to happen. So I'm sorry if it feels icky, but you know, your teeth aren't going to clean themselves without a toothbrush, and you're not going to have community without being intentional.
1: So, amen. I don't know if that's helpful or unhelpful. I think it's great. <laughs> Beautiful. And then I was kind of going to ask you for a, a last uh, like exhortation for for the the men listening, but you kind of just gave it. So um but that's beautiful like we gotta just get intentional about this stuff these things don't happen automatically anymore uh let's step up and it starts with us dads uh yeah. it's not the kids fault like they're they're just doing what we let them do or where they're we're, they're just yeah. we're kind of letting those cultural forces take over and we've got to resist and and push back or, yeah. or things are never gonna get better so we do have a tool uh, can i mention this is this Yeah, Yeah, please. uh, Yeah. If uh,
2: Sam, I still haven't forgiven you for canceling your subscription, uh, but we have a magazine called Sword and Spade. (laughs) I'm going to sign Sam up for free uh, called Sword and Spade. And this was really born out of. um, Men wanting to be engaged intellectually, seriously in their faith, they're really surprisingly, despite a lot of man themed things, there's really not a, a ton of depth out there. And, and things that are consumable and sort of short bites that aren't, and that also like aren't digital because those things come and go, we share them, we email them, we, we and they just come and go. So we had this weird idea, I don't know, four years ago, like, let's have a magazine. Cause a lot of these dads they are nine to five dads. They're busy. I'm kind of a bookish guy. So I like to read, I'm like, Oh, have you read this? And, and um, they're like, shut up, Jason. You know, I, I don't have, I'm just, I'm not a book reader at this point. I'm very really busy, but a magazine is this one it's it's kind of incarnated reality it's something in your hand so it's got the, the the and there's all sorts of science behind the uh having a printed you know a page is different right you ought to read on pages it uh it sinks into you more um but also written from men in the trenches dealing with you know so we had a great article this these guys in uh Birmingham they're mechanics they closed their shop for catholic solemnities like the assumption in a Protestant neighborhood with and give their Protestant employees a day, a paid day off. And they have a feast. And like, I, I want to read about that more than like, this is why, you you know, it's this is why solemnities are important. 10 ways to make a solemnity more special in your home, right? These are men that closed their shop and lost money, made a sacrifice in order to have a feast. Right. Sorry. Those are the kind of articles that are written, but also just putting them in the hands of groups of men so that they will argue over it and discuss it and like point to pages. It's just it's been a very fruitful thing. We've tried lots of emails and videos and all this stuff, but there's something about uh that that, that is the purpose of that kind of aspect of the apostolate is get men talking in the trenches in there and forming brotherhood around the truth, right? Because what forms our brotherhood? What's what's our as Christian men, what is the what is that boot camp? It's the boot camp of truth, of sacrifice, of, of living for Jesus Christ and not ourselves. That's our boot camp. We can keep growing in that incorporation, you know, ongoing with each other. Yeah.
0: No, hey amen. And I appreciate you sharing that. So, well, Jason, where else can they find you? We'll put it in the show notes. We want to give you an opportunity outside of that, that great magazine. Um, where can they read some of your articles uh, stay you know, up to date on what you're doing?
2: Sure. I uh, I haven't written as much lately. I'd like to, but, um, but the Catholic gentlemen every now and then, uh, those Catholic men every now and then, um, but um, they can, we host events here on the farm where, where this is very much these sort of cultural ideas uh, are the front and center of the experience. And yes, we kill pigs and then cook them and eat them and have a feast. Um, and that, that if they want to look up St. Joseph's Uh sense. we actually have a homesteading weekend um, coming up in November. Uh, November 5th, that weekend. Um, so spending time on the farm, those are always great. They can come see that this is very much not a, it's just piles of crap and kids everywhere. So, um, not, not picturesque, but somewhat functioning. Um, and then they can, you know, put their name in what the contact form at fraternus uh, .net or, uh, St. Joseph's farm and those kind of things. So it's out there.
0: That's excellent. No. Well, Jason, I'm so grateful to to have met you and connected with you on this podcast. Uh, hopefully we'll have you on again and in our relationship can just start and keep on going um, here on forward. So yeah. Thanks yeah. so much.
2: Thanks, Sam. Thanks, John. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah.
0: Well, and as we end each four episodes,
2: be a
1: man, be a saint.